0: Hello and welcome to the second episode of Linklater's Asia Bite Size Antitrust. I'm Marcus Pollard, and today I'm joined by my colleague, Cath Goy. We are both based here in Hong Kong. In this episode, we'll bring you up to speed with competition law developments across the city. Now, for those of you who are avid followers of Hong Kong competition law, uh, we will be soon celebrating the sixth anniversary of the Competition Ordinance in December 2021. Now, you may be asking, Has antitrust law really changed Hong Kong businesses? And if so, to what extent? Well, in our view, the Commission has definitely proven itself to be an ambitious young enforcer, building a slow but steady track record by tackling ever more complex cases. So let's dive in and look at three main issues uh, in the time we have available. Firstly, what kind of cases uh, are uh, are being tackled? Second, the growing importance of leniency, and thirdly, how individual employees and directors are involved in cases. Kath, do you want to start us off?
1: Sure. Um, Yeah, I think you're right, Marcus. Um, In in fact, the Commission has become more and more um, ambitious. So I can give a quick tour of the enforcement. Um, Different from the early days, the Commission now has focused on a growing variety of cases. Low-hanging fruit cartel cases are no longer the only types of cases brought by the Commission. But we have also seen the Commission targeting non-cartel arrangements and abuse of dominance cases. So obviously, um, here in Hong Kong, we have a prosecution court-based system of enforcement. Court proceedings can be very time-consuming and resource-consuming for both the Commission and the parties involved. But the good news is the Commission had increasingly shown that it is open to use alternative enforcement tools in its investigation. Instead of bringing parties to the tribunal in every single case, the Commission would agree to cease its investigation by accepting commitments from um, the infringing parties. For example, parties commit to cease anti-competitive conduct or commit to have an effective competition compliance program in place.
0: Right. both seem to be talking about diversity and the range of cases. But I think it's worth maybe explaining a bit further to our audience on um, recent types of cases brought by the Commission over the past year. So the first abuse of substantial market power prosecution was bought by the Commission in December 2020 in relation to allegations in the healthcare sector. It's still very early days of that case, but I think it would be interesting to see how the tribunal eventually interprets and applies the ordinance in the context of abusive dominance principles. Um, the Commission also had its first enforcement outcome in respect of vertical agreements. The Commission raised concerns with most favoured nation clauses imposed by a number of leading online travel agencies in their agreements with hotels. The Commission said that those clauses restricted hotels from lower pricing on uh, competing online platforms. That case ended with uh, with the type of commitments you mentioned, Kath, and the travel agencies eventually removed those offending clauses. This case is also a nice example of the Commission's enforcement trend uh, being in line with uh, other regulators in Europe and other parts of Asia. Uh, these type of investigations into online platforms were, were very prevalent in Europe in the last decade, and actually South Korea and Japan have very recently raised concerns with similar MFN clauses.
1: Hmm. From what you mentioned, it seems that um, commitments and softer outcomes have developed some pace in Hong Kong. Um, that's also the Hong Kong Seaport Alliance case, which was subject to the Commission's scrutiny. In that case, the Commission was concerned that um, the joint operation agreement between competing port terminals raised concerns. Well, the port terminals tried to argue that uh, their joint operation agreement will give rise to efficiencies. But as we have seen in other cases, it is very difficult to prove um, efficiency exclusion and the threshold is extremely high. In practice, it's very difficult to fulfill all the requirements. So similarly, the port terminals have failed to convince the Commission. This is another case where the Commission ended its investigation after accepting the commitments from the port terminals. Um, Quite similar with what Marcus has mentioned just now for for the uh, online travel agencies cases. The, The port terminals in this case also agreed to carry out various measures including price caps and maintain a minimum service level.
0: Okay, so whilst it's true the Commission has broadened its scope of enforcement, I think cartels are still on the top of the Commission's enforcement agenda. Um, Earlier this year, for example, the Commission has issued infringement notices to six hotel groups for their involvement as facilitators to a price-fixing agreement between two competing travel service providers. Now That case is a good reminder that merely acting as a facilitator of cartel arrangement can give rise to antitrust risk. But as seen in this case, the commission opted to uh, issue an infringement notice to the hotels uh, instead of uh, taking them uh, to the tribunal to prosecute for cartel conduct. The commission at the time commented that infringement notice was a more appropriate enforcement action after considering the role uh, and uh, the the hotels had actually cooperated early on with the commission in the investigation.
1: Yes, it's important to stress that the Commission's investigation for the hotel case is still ongoing and it's still unknown what would be the enforcement outcomes for the travel service provider which were allegedly fixing the price.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and I think uh, actually a key feature of this case is that it was initiated by a leniency application, um, which is a nice segue into, uh, into that topic. Um, as, as some of our listeners will be aware, Globally, leniency or immunity programs are very effective tools for antitrust regulators. Um, they allow them to uncover secret cartels that they wouldn't have known about otherwise. But in order to encourage people to self-report, businesses need to be incentivized uh, to be able to, to 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 report and make that leniency application. Now, so far, uh, this doesn't seem to be the case in Hong Kong, as the Commission's cartel cases almost exclusively came about as a result of public complaints. The only other leniency case in the public domain so far relates to an IT contract tendered by uh, an amusement park, Ocean Park. The only other infringing party in that case uh, that was taken to the tribunal eventually settled uh, with the commission. So there was no real need to be disclosing or discussing further details on the identity of the leniency applicant or indeed the evidence that would have been provided during the leniency process. So, given the lack of precedence uh, relating to leniency, there are, um, I hope you agree, Kath, there's still a lot of questions around the role of a leniency applicant in a contentious litigation case. Um, The HOTELS case, therefore, will actually be a, a first test case to explore some of those principles. And in our view, it's very likely that leniency applicants will be heavily involved in the court process, particularly if the Commission is going to rely on their evidence uh, to be able to prove its its case.
1: Yes, I think we should definitely watch closely on how the hotel case will develop as it will likely give us um, some guidance on on, Mm. um, Commission's leniency um, application process. So um, as we are talking about leniency policy, I think we should also flag to our audience that the Commission also has a cooperation policy in place for companies that do not um, qualify for leniency. So that would typically means that those who are not first in um, and when an investigation has already started. It is still unclear from public information whether this has in fact incentivized more parties to cooperate with the commission during the investigation stage. But we have seen a few cases where parties agreed to settlement after the commission started its tribunal proceedings The commission would recommend a discount on the financial penalty in consideration of the settlement. Well, um, the tribunal would have the finance say on the level of fines.
0: Yeah, and and on the level of fines, we now have more guidance on how the commission would calculate its recommended fines to the tribunal based on its policy. And we also have a number of now tribunal precedents uh, where the fining mechanism is actually set down. But this mechanism so far seems to be more applicable for companies who have been the cartel participants. I am though a little curious, how would the tribunal calculate fines for individuals?
1: Good question. This is indeed quite a controversial topic. As you may know, there is a statutory cap on fines imposed on companies. However, there is no statutory cap on fines imposed on individuals. There is now already a precedent by the tribunal where fines were imposed on individuals. But, we have to be cautious when applying this case in the future, given the the specific circumstances of that case. Individual liability remains to be a focus of the Commission's enforcement. As we have seen, the Commission had, in almost two-thirds of its cases, brought enforcement actions against individuals who were allegedly involved in anti-competitive conduct. So this will likely to be a recurrent topic, and hopefully we will be able to have some clearer guidance soon. I think it's also worth mentioning that the tribunal had handed down its first director's disqualification judgement last year, where a director allegedly involved in market sharing conduct was disqualified for one year and ten months.
0: Yeah, so I think this definitely shows that antitrust risks in Hong Kong are not only limited to the specific company that carried out the conduct, uh, but as you mentioned Kath, individuals such as directors and employees may also be held liable for their involvement uh, in anti-competitive conduct. Now in addition to the individuals, the Commission is taking the view that even parent companies may be held liable for anti-competitive conduct carried out by their subsidiaries. The Commission is trying to attribute liability even where the parents were not involved in the conduct themselves. Now, This is a red flag, particularly for overseas parent companies ensure that they have rigorous compliance programs in place to prevent uh, any issues arising here in Hong Kong. And on that note, maybe we leave it there, but before we wrap up, maybe a bit of crystal ball gazing. Uh, Kath, can you, can you maybe give a couple of potential future developments uh, in Hong Kong?
1: Sure. Um, currently, statutory bodies are exempt from the competition ordinance there would likely be some amend- amendments to the ordinance to remove that exemption. That have been uh, in discussion for many years, even well before the law was enforced. So there might be some movements on-, on this front. It also seems that the commission is increasingly looking to investigate the digital economy, query how that will play out into enforcement or it will remain as a market study, but definitely watch this space.
0: Indeed we will, Kath, thank you for that. If you have any questions about Hong Kong competition law, Kath and myself will be happy to discuss further and please feel free to reach out to us. In our next episode, we'll be heading down under to our colleagues in Allens, Australia. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.